The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Amen. Amen. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? I want you guys to realize the benefit and the, the privilege and the power of praise and worship. <clears throat> I want to thank you guys for, for leading us and preparing our hearts to receive the word this morning. But if y'all want to think about it this way, there's really only one time throughout the course of a week or throughout the course of our lives where the collective body of Christ is all proclaiming the gospel at the very same time. And that's what we just did. And I want you all to think about the, the demons and the, and the devil himself flee from that kind of power. Because it's the, it's the body of Christ, the collective voices of all God's people proclaiming the truths of the gospel together, united. That's powerful. And that's just part of what we do when we sing. Of course, God is the one who is glorified and God is the one who is worthy of our worship and our praise. And that's what's some of the uh, most significant special things about what we do when we sing. So it's not just about singing and not just about playing instruments or performing. It's about praising God and it's about uh, making the, the kingdom of darkness flee from this place. And, and, we, and we need to remember that, and there's power in that. So uh, thank you guys again. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 John, the book of 1 John, chapter 2. And we're going to look at three keys this morning that, that allows the church to keep our faith alive. 1 John, chapter 2. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 12 this morning, and, and the title of the message is Three Keys to Keeping our faith alive. Now, God has always been very interested and very concerned with what I call multi-generational faithfulness. Now, what does that mean, multi-generational faithfulness? It means that the faith of the fathers and mothers are passed down to the children and the grandchildren. And then the faith of those children and grandchildren as they grow up in the faith is also then what? Passed down to their children and to their children. And this is God's design. As a matter of fact, when God created man and he created woman and he, and he, and he had the first union, the marriage union there in the garden and, and Adam and Eve were married and he created the family unit, the dynamic of the relationships that God built in place with our families is the dynamic that he desires to use to advance his kingdom and to keep the faith alive. So that parents are to be investing and pouring into their children. And, and that, that investment of faith is to be continued for every generation that follows. And we see this in the Old Testament. We see it, uh, as a matter of fact, if any of you are familiar with the Shema, which is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is the, the central prayer of the Jewish faith, uh, that's very much in, uh, intentional uh, and speaks about the being intentional for families and for fathers and mothers to uh, love the Lord their God, to, to know the commandments of the Lord, to observe and obey the commandments of the Lord, but he also says to impress those commandments upon their children, right? To talk about the Lord as you rise up in the morning and as you walk along the way and as you lay your head down at night. In other words, you're taking every opportunity that we can to invest in the next generation so that the next generation and the generation that follows will know the Lord. And, and in the New Testament, even before we get to our passage, Paul speaks about this as well. Uh, he puts it this way in, in the book of 2 Timothy. He says, uh, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus 
And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see that same pattern, right? So we hear the gospel, we know the gospel, we entrust the gospel to faithful men, then they're to turn around and teach others also. And Paul, even uh, if we think about Paul's letter to 2 Timothy near the end of his message, what is Paul's anthem before he dies? He says, I have finished the race. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. So Paul was able to say that in thinking about all, all the people that he had invested the gospel in over his ministry. And so when we look at 1 John chapter 2, I believe the scripture gives us three very important keys that will allow the church to keep our faith alive. Now, if you don't believe that our church, that the church in general needs to keep the faith alive, then you need a wake-up call this morning. Because not only is the church under attack, the culture around us is, is opposed to the things of God and the, and the world and the systems of this world. And if you look at many of the, the statistics and some of the data that we look at church in general, especially in North America, the church is either plateauing in many respects or it's on the decline. And the only way to counter that, the only, day, only way to resolve that, this issue and this, this desperate issue that we have right now as a church is to keep our faith alive through what I believe John gives us in the passage this morning is three very important keys. And here's the great thing. If you're here this morning, you're, you fall into one of these categories. You do. And so at the end of the day, I want to call you to the responsibility that you and I all have and that we all can play a part in keeping the faith alive, keeping our faith alive and passing that faith on to the next generation so that we can get a hold of this thing and see God's church bounce back, which is what we desperately need. So if you look at 1 John chapter 2, I'll read from verse 12. John writing, he says, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I'll write to you children because you know the father. I'll write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning, and I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, I want to thank you for your word. I pray, Lord Jesus, in your holy name, through your Holy Spirit, that your word would go forth and not return void as you promised. And Lord, as we all receive and reflect on what you are calling us to do as individuals, that we would see the church rise again and to overcome, Lord, the, uh, the decline that we are seeing, Lord, among God's people, especially here in America. And so we give you this time and pray that it would bring you glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Now, three keys. Now, the first thing I want to just kind of bring to light before we jump into this is that notice that when John is writing this letter and he's encouraging these three groups of people, he talks about children or little children, he talks about fathers, and he talks about young men. Now, John is, is not forgetting about our ladies out there. He's not forgetting about you mothers. He's not forgetting about you young ladies, your, you young mothers. He's not forgetting about you grandmothers out there, okay? So I, I want you to understand that when he's addressing the men primarily, it's because who is called to be the leaders not only of the household, but the leaders primarily of the church? It's men. And we just can't deny that. So the, the, the responsibility for leadership is always going to be 
uh, called to the men first, and that's God's design. That's not my, that's not my design. That's God's design. And so I, I want you to make sure you understand, ladies in the room, this applies to you as well, because how many of you have kept the faith alive in your family, in your generation, because you stood in the gap when maybe the men did not? And I understand that, and I want to thank you for that, because we need you. We need you desperately. But let's think about it in the context of leadership. Let's think about it in the context of John calling out the men in the church and in the family to keep the faith alive so that we can overcome this problem. Three keys to keeping our faith alive. Number one is that we must continue to be diligent in reaching our children with the gospel. We must be diligent in reaching our children with the gospel. And let me tell you kind of, there's some different interpretations about this passage. Is John writing to literal, is he talking about children and fathers and young men in just a purely biological sense as far as their age? Um, some of us could say, yeah, they're, they're may, he may be writing to them in that sense, but I also want you to understand that this also really applies spiritually, I think, more than anything else. And the reason I know that is because John even addresses my little children several times throughout this entire book, and he's writing to new believers. And even Jesus, we see Jesus calling his own disciples his little what? His little, but they're grown men. Right? You understand that. So, so even though they're grown men and Jesus is, is trying to teach them and invest in them, he, sometimes he would even call these grown men my little children because he, they, they didn't quite understand everything that they needed to understand. They were very new to the faith. And so we understand that, that when we talk about children, many times we are going to be talking about young people, children that are below the age of 18. But there are those cases of people who come to faith in Christ much later in life uh, there was a lady in the church where we served in, in, in the Delta, in the Mississippi Delta, and she literally, I believe with all my heart, she gave her life to Jesus Christ and she was 79 years old. Praise God. And you don't hear that a lot, but think about it. She was 79 years old biologically, but she was a little child at that point. She became a babe in Christ. And so I just wanted to kind of throw that out there so that we can understand that most of the time when, when John's talking about children, young men, fathers, Yes, we can correlate that to the age, appropriate age that they may be in that time of life, but it doesn't always hold true. So just, just something to think about as we talk about these things. But, but John is now talking about the babes, of, babes in Christ, those who are new to the faith, those who are new converts. And so we see that um, whether we come to Jesus Christ when we are older or younger, we must come to Jesus as a helpless child. Now, I... How do I know that? Well, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, said that. Did he not? In Mark chapter 10, he said this, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. Now, what does that mean when Jesus is saying, he who will not receive the kingdom like a little child will never enter into it? Well, there's something about children that, that is just that, that innocence that we see in children, that, that trusting nature. Children will just come to you and they will trust you and they will admit their need. And many times they recognize that they're helpless without someone bigger than them, greater than, than them that can help them. And so there is this, this idea of the mentality of a little child. We must humble ourselves, in other words, like a little child in order to receive the gift of eternal life, to be saved and to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now think about your own conversion. I bet you many of you in this room today, you may have come to faith uh, as a little child. And when you came to faith in Jesus Christ as a little child, you came like every one of us, needy, trusting, 
And, and the thing about coming to faith as a little child is that we don't have to understand everything there is to know about God to put our faith in Jesus Christ, do we? All we have to understand as a child is that God loves me, Jesus died for me, and that cross was, was meant for me. That, that my sin had something to do with Jesus dying on that cross. And when a little child, no matter how old they are, when they begin to understand their own need for Jesus, they're ready to receive salvation. Whenever I counsel little children, when I've had opportunities and children are working through their need for Jesus or they want to give their life to Jesus or be saved, the first thing that I look for when counseling a little child or even an adult, for that matter, is that do they understand the concept of their own sin? They've got to understand that they're sinful, that they are a sinner in need of salvation before they can receive salvation. And, and I, I encourage you parents, as you talk to your children when they're younger, begin to talk to them about those things. Begin to talk to them about what the cross is really about. Begin to address them in ways of helping them be conscious uh, of their own sin because they need to be able to understand their need for a Savior. And, and this is, as a child, we begin to recognize that need perhaps for the very first time. There's a, a, a children's pastor down in Hernando at a, at a church that we've been a part of, and uh, his name is Kevin, and I, I've come to know Kevin and respect him a lot. And he shared his testimony, and I think it was really important because he started to doubt his salvation when he was a young man, and he had given his life to Christ as a child. And one of the reasons is that he started to doubt. He didn't know the exact time and day of his salvation, and, and he started, you know, the devil used that against him. You don't know the exact time and date, then you must not be saved. Somebody taught him that one time, which is a lie, by the way. But he started to doubt these things, and he finally had a great counsel guy, a pastor, a counselor came and talked to him. And this is what he told him, and I love this, and I'll share it with you because I think it's important. He said, Kevin, did you give all of yourself to all that you knew of Jesus on that day? Did you give all of yourself to all that you knew of Jesus? He said, yes. He says, there it is. You don't, have to, you don't have to know anything else. You don't have to be worried about anything else. Is that even as children, we don't have to know everything about the gospel and the, deep, uh, the depths of theology. We just have to know, can we give all of ourselves to all of who Jesus is and everything that he's done for us as far as we can understand it? And that's what it means to be saved. And that's a beautiful thing. And so we need to understand that. First Peter chapter 2, Peter says it this way. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, the Bible talks a lot about this idea of being babes in Christ and newborn infants and spiritual milk and growing up into salvation and all these things. And so we have to understand that children need to recognize, especially children in the faith, they need to recognize really two most important things is what John tells us this morning. The first one is that your, your sins are what? Forgiven. Amen. Your sins are forgiven, and you know the Father. Your sins are forgiven, and you know the Father. Listen, it's so important, no matter when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, whether it was a little child or maybe you came to faith in Christ a little bit later in your life, you need to be reminded. And listen, John is writing to the children in the church in a present tense. And that's important. He says your sins have been forgiven right now. And you know the Father right now. It's not that your sins were forgiven, but they are, your sins now are forgiven. And we have to understand these things. This is a present reality for all of us who have given our lives to Christ and we've been born again and adopted into the family of God is that we never forget that our sins are forgiven and that we know 
the Father, that the power and the sufficiency of the cross of Jesus Christ is so important to our faith, to keep that faith alive. John emphasizes the Father's love. You know, when you come to faith in Jesus, when you, when you, when you first put your faith in God, one of the, the key elements of that is that you begin to relate to God, understanding that he is a father to us. And a matter of fact, some of us may not even have good relationships with our earthly father. But, but God steps in and says, I will be a heavenly father to you that's so much far beyond anything that you could have imagined from an earthly father. So he steps in and fills that void and steps in the gap for us. And we begin to understand and relate to him as a father. And guys, that is so important. It's so important that we understand. It's what Paul says is that when we have put our faith in Jesus, we've been adopted into the family of God so that we are given the right to become children of God and we can cry out to him and say, Abba, Father. You know what that word Abba means? It's the best way that I can describe to you in our old Southern culture. It's Daddy. Daddy. It's like the little girl that, that you see just running up to her, her, her father and just saying, Daddy, 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 I love you. And, and, and he picks her up and embraces her and gives her a big hug. And it's that deep, intimate, close relationship that we can now have with our Heavenly Father that God has given us that right to have. And listen, this is what's so important about emphasizing that our sins are forgiven and that we have a relationship with a, a loving, kind, and patient, and faithful Heavenly Father is that this kind of relationship... That, that defines our Christian life is foundational to our faith. Now, what do I mean by that? We never get past this. I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus, you need to be reminded today, my child, our children, that your sins are what? You're forgiven. Because what is it that the devil will do? What is it that the devil will use against us so many times? Oh, God can never forgive you for that. You're not, you don't really believe God's forgiven you of all your sin, do you? You're not, you're dirty. You're filthy. You really can't be forgiven of that. You see, the devil will plant those seeds and lies and doubts in our head, and that's why we go back to the gospel, being intentional about teaching our children and reaching them with the gospel, and that goes for you and me today. No matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, we need to be reminded that your sins are forgiven through the cross of Christ, and we need to be reminded of the Father's love for us. How deep the Father's love for us. One of my favorite hymns of all time. I'm going to read you a couple of lines from this, from this hymn because it's one of my favorites. It, it brings me to emotion every time that I, that I sing it, every time that I hear it. But this is what we need to be reminded as children. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. But it was my sin that held him there. That's what we need to be reminded of. It was my sin that held him there. Until it was accomplished, his dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Everything that Christ did for us on that cross... It is finished, it's accomplished, it is paid in full. Little children, we need to remember this morning that your sins are forgiven and that you have a loving and a, and a gracious heavenly father that will never leave or never forsake you. Now, do we have some, some data that shows that it is important that we continue to reach our children? 
Yes, we do. And I'm not, I'm not one of these guys that's always going to try to throw a statistic at you. And you got to be careful sometimes about, you know, looking up statistics. But there are some, some very trustworthy polls and data and things like that that we can look at. And Barna, uh, Barna Research Group is one of them. And, and Barna in 2004 came out and said that 75% of born-again Christians received Christ before their 21st birthday. Now, I've seen other statistics that take that up even higher to about 85 to almost 90% of people who come to faith in Christ, they came to faith in Christ before they were ever 21 years old. What should that tell the church? If we're going to keep our faith alive, who should we be reaching? Our children. That doesn't mean that we do that at the expense of reaching others who are adults. We've we got to be reaching our neighbors and our family members and those who have walked uh, and who have lived longer lives. I understand that. We don't forsake that at all. But, but God has given us a, a ripe harvest, a field that we can invest in these young people. And the statistics will tell us that if we're reaching them and teaching them the gospel and showing them the gospel and loving on them in the name of Jesus, many of them will come to faith at a very young age. Very important that we understand that. Do you know that it's not impossible for the church to disappear? Did you know that? Right here, Bartlett, Tennessee, the Bible Belt. We're in the buckle of the Bible Belt. Do you know that, that we take for granted that the church is just always going to be here? Do you know what's happening in Europe right now where the church once thrived? Churches are closing their doors by the thousands. I was reading an article just this week. In Germany alone, uh, they're losing uh, half a million Christians every year just to death just because older people who identify themselves as Christians, they're just dying off. And listen, there's no one younger coming up to replace them. And that's why they turn many of these great cathedrals and these beautiful church buildings in Europe, they just turn them into museums because there's nobody left there to meet and to worship. Now, if we're not careful, even here in the United States of America, do y'all not know that, that that can happen? Do you know when John wrote, uh, the, the same John that wrote this book, when he wrote the book of Revelation, he wrote to seven churches in the book of Revelation, and you think about Sardis and Thyatira and Laodicea and Ephesus and these churches. Guess what? They were all in modern, what's called modern-day Turkey today. Guess what? They don't exist. So the, a church that was once thriving in that area is now gone completely. Are we too prideful to admit that that could happen here? If we don't turn the tide and we're not intentional as Christians to keep our faith alive and reach our young children with the gospel and invest in the next generation and make sure that we're doing everything that we need to do on, that we can do by trusting God to keep the faith alive and pass that on to the next generation. We should never take any of that for granted. So the question is, some pastors and all these think groups and people in the church say, well, should we still be doing things like vacation Bible school? Absolutely. You know, should, should we still be um, doing like kids camp and, and doing all these things where, you know, these events for kids? And look, I say do whatever we can do to reach the next generation. I'm a, I'm a preacher. I have three sons. I, I have three preacher's kids, and one of them, Gave his life to Jesus last year at a vacation Bible school. Of course we should continue to do vacation Bible But we shouldn't just depend on the, on the ministries or the programs of the church to reach our children because it must start where? In your house. Are you being intentional as a parent, grandparent, to reach your children with the gospel, to have those conversations with them, to talk of them of the Lord daily? 
to have family worship in your house, to have times of Bible study in your house, to talk about your children or the things of God, to ask questions, all of those things. It's got to happen in the home before it happens anywhere else, teaching these children. So if you're a child of God here today, let me remind you that your sins are forgiven once and for all and that you belong to a wonderful and loving Heavenly Father and never forget it. And no one can snatch you out of his hand ever. If you are his and you belong to him, you will always be his. And that is what keeps our faith alive. Is a new generation of believers that are growing up in the Lord. The second key, John says, is that we now go and talk about our fathers. Okay, so the second thing is, first, we must diligently reach our children with the gospel. Second, we must continue to learn from and listen to our spiritual elders and fathers. When I was reading this, you know, I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, type A in, in the sense that, you know, he's, he talks about children and then he goes to fathers and then he goes to young men. And I'm like, John, you got it all wrong. You're, you're out of order, man. You know, it's supposed to go children, young men, and then fathers. But when I began to think about it, we're going to get to that in just a minute, is that he's in the perfect order because he addresses children first. Now he's going to go and address the elders or the fathers of the faith and then there's going to be a group of people who's going to hold it all together in the middle, and that's our who? That's the what? That's the young men. Amen. We're going to get to that in just a second. But he's addressing spiritual fathers now. Now, the spiritual fathers are the men who have life experience under their belt. And somehow, for some reason, they also got a few extra pounds under their belt. I don't know how that always works out, but it does somehow. But these are, these, are the, these are the patriarchs. These are the generals of the faith. These are the men that, and women that are the heads of household. They're the, they're the men who've been walking with Jesus for a long time. That's the best way I can put it. If, if you're here today and you've been walking with the Jesus for a long time, and I don't know how you define a long time, 10, 15, 20, 50 years, you're a father. You're a father of the faith. And they've experienced great struggle and yet they've experienced great victory and these fathers have have been tested and they've been tried and they've stood the test of time and they have a testimony of faithfulness this is so important and again like i said many mothers and grandmothers have impacted the lives of the next generation i think about eunice and lois who uh, this is timothy's mother and grandmother you know we don't hear much about timothy's father he didn't really have a spiritual father matter of fact paul became his spiritual father and that's another thing about this whole thing spiritual mothers and fathers doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a biological mother or father you know you can be a spiritual mother and a spiritual father to someone who's not even your blood that's the beauty of the church and so we have this testimony of fathers and i find it very very interesting that John uses the same description for fathers in this passage. He says, fathers, you know him who is from the beginning. Did you catch that? Now, he had different descriptions for children both times. He had different descriptions for uh, the young men both times. But for fathers, he says, fathers, I'm writing to you because you know him. Again, present tense. This is not something you did a long time ago. You know him right now. Him who is from the beginning. Now, who is him who is from the beginning? Now, some scholars, as you read the commentaries and things like that, they say John is writing to, the, to the, the older Christians in the church who actually were alive to, to witness and to see Jesus in his earthly ministry. And there may have been some in this letter 
that were old enough to have walked with Jesus and seen him with their very own eyes. But I don't necessarily believe that's the case in this, in this passage. I think what John is writing here is, again, just simply to those who've been walking with Jesus for a long time. And he says, you know him who is from the beginning. Who is him who is from the beginning? Let me give you a couple of passages. First, uh, John chapter 1, not 1 John, John chapter 1. He writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word is Jesus. Um, in, in 1 John, the beginning of this entire book, John puts it this way. That which was from the beginning, we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, and we have looked at, and, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. John again addresses Jesus as the one who is from the beginning. Paul says it this way in Colossians. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He says, he is before all things. And in him everything holds together, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that everything he might have supremacy. So what is Paul talking, I mean, excuse me, what is John talking about here when he says, Fathers, you know him who is from the beginning. This is what he's saying. He's saying, Fathers, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. You have a deep, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know him. And more importantly, he knows you. He calls you one of his own. And this is what John is saying. And you need to know him better. Because here's the thing about fathers. Fathers, if you've been walking with Jesus here for a long time, many of you, I can look out in this room and I know you have. Do you ever reach a point where you arrive? Do you ever reach a point where you stop growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do you ever reach a point where you say, I got this Christian thing licked. I don't need to read my Bible anymore. I've heard enough sermons over my lifetime. I've taught enough Sunday schools over my lifetime. I've had enough prayer in my lifetime. I'm good to go. I've reached a point where I just don't really need to grow anymore. I've just reached my peak. Anybody in here at that point yet? No, none of us reach that point. Why? Because in this lifetime, we never arrive spiritually. We never arrive spiritually. We are always called to continue growing deeper and deeper and deeper in the fellowship and in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the tragedy. And I don't want to step on any toes this morning. But there are some fathers, at least you may be a father according to your age, and sadly, you're still a baby. You've never waded off into the deeper waters. You're still swimming in the kiddie pool. Think about that. What kind of an image would that paint if you saw a bunch of old grown men swimming in the kiddie pool? There'd be something wrong with that, right? You'd be taking your kids up out of the kiddie pool. But the thing is, is that many of our fathers, our older, our elders in the church, have never continued to grow deeper and deeper in fellowship in their relationship with Jesus Christ, and they just haven't graduated to the next level. Uh, the book of Hebrews says it this way, For this, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need, but you need someone to teach you again the basic pr principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But for solid food is for the mature. That's the fathers. The mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from 
evil. That's what the book of Hebrews says. Some of us, we ought to be teachers by now. Some of us, we ought to have graduated to more deeper things of God, deeper things of theology, deeper things of understanding the scriptures, but we're still sipping a bottle. And that's unfortunate. And I'm going to challenge you tonight, to this morning, fathers. Never stop growing deeper. Never stop seeking the Lord. Never stop in t- um, taking in the word of God. Never stop praying. Never stop witnessing. Never stop being a part of the fellowship of the church. Never stop growing yourself in the faith. We need you, fathers. What do we need from our fathers? We need your wisdom. Us young bucks out here who think we've got it all figured out, let me tell you something. We don't. But some of you have walked through so many things in life and you've been walking with Jesus long enough where you, you've got some knowledge. You've got some wisdom. We need to, 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 to glean from that wisdom. We need your witness. You know how awesome it is when you can talk to an older man or an older woman and they've been walking with Jesus for 50 years and they've been faithful? You know how awesome that is to know that their faith has stood the test of time? And that they've had many uh, valleys and, and victories and triumphs and tragedies, but, but the, Jesus is the one constant through their life, through and through. And it just encourages me when I hear that because it says, you know what, I got a chance. If, if they've made it this long, then I can make it. We need your witness and, and we need your walk. We need to see it exemplified from our fathers. We need to see it from our spiritual elders and our leaders in the church. We need to see it in your life. We don't need just to hear you say it. We need to see it. Very important that we put all of those things together. Why are fathers so important? Fathers, they're the guardians of sound teaching and sound doctrine. You know, there's some of us in here that can get easily led astray. We hear some guy teaching on the radio or, or we get to reading this funny book over here and we think, man, that sounds pretty good. And, and some of us who are young in our faith, we can easily get swept away by lies and myths and, and false teachings. Our fathers, you're the ones that are, that are rock solid in your faith. And you can, you can help prevent us from, from being led astray. You, you're guardians of sound doctrine. You're guardians of biblical truth. You give us godly wisdom. You are visionaries. You're champions of the faith. You have discernment in your life. You should. These are things that we can learn from and gain from from our fathers. But this goes both ways. And really, if you think about all of these relationships and dynamics, they, they go both ways because discipleship goes what? It goes both ways. So in other words, Timothy was, was being poured into by Paul, so he had it coming in, but Paul's also encouraging Timothy to pour in to somebody else. That's the same thing here. Fathers, okay, we need your wisdom. We need your witness. We need these things, but you have to also be intentional to turn around and invest in the next generation. Let me put it to you this way. There's no such thing as retirement from the kingdom of God. Can I say that again? There's no such thing as being retired from kingdom work. Now, you may have put in your 30 and 40 years, and you may have deserved to retire from that job that you worked, and God bless you, and I give you all uh, blessing for being able to do that. But that did not mean that you retired from your kingdom work. Matter of fact, that should have just freed you up to do a little bit more, right? That's what this is all about. It's about our fathers being intentional to invest in the next generation. So who are you investing in, fathers? Who's your Timothy? Who are you pouring into today? Is it a grandchild? Is it somebody in the church? Is it a neighbor? Is it a, is it a, a, a child? Who is it? 
These are questions that we have to answer. So let me remind you, fathers, if you're here, spiritual mother, you're a spiritual father, you know Jesus. Know him better. You've been walking for Jesus, walking with Jesus for a long time. Guess what? Keep walking. Keep growing. Keep going deeper with him. And remember that Jesus has called you to pass on your faith and your witness to the next generation that's going to keep our faith alive. Now let's talk to our young men. John says, young men, I'm writing to you because you have overcome the evil one. Again, present tense. You didn't overcome him in the past, but you have what? You've overcome him right now. These are realities that we all can hold on to in our Christian walk. Right now, our sins are forgiven. We're walking with Jesus. We've overcome the evil one. And he says, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, you have overcome the evil one. We must call and equip our spiritual warriors to fight the good fight and keep the faith alive. I love battle imagery. I love thinking, and because you know why? Because the Bible uses battle imagery. The Bible talks often about fighting the good fight, be a good soldier of the faith, for we do not war and wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers of the kingdom of darkness and the things that are at work against us. The Bible uses war imagery. So I think sometimes if you're here today and you're in that maybe that 18 to 40-year-old range, you're that young man, that young woman of the faith, I want to call you today that you are enlisted in the Lord's army. Y'all remember that one out of Sunday school? I'm in the Lord's army. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Right? I love that one. But we are. Young men, you are. You're called to step out into the battle. Every generation needs an army to rise up and stand in the gap to fight for the faith. Young men, that's you. Think about how a real army operates. You have an age limit to enlist in the army, right? Because war is not for little children. You don't want a little child having to go fight into, into the brutal battles of war. And honestly, for our older men, our, our, our fathers, we, our stamina, and our, we just don't have in the tank what we used to have, do we? And so there reaches a point where you just kind of get a little older and you just don't heal as fast as you used to and you just don't have the energy that you used to. And so that's why the fighting men, the capable men, are those men who we call the young men because they're still in their prime. And they have strength and, and, and they have courage and, and they have the, the stamina and the ability that they need to fight this fight. These are capable men, young men, fighting men. You know what fascinates me when you look back on our World War II generation? And I don't know, we, we're losing World War II veterans. I mean, there's very, very few left who are alive. And some have called that generation the greatest generation. And I, I have a hard time arguing with that because when you think about how many Kids, 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds who went to lie about their age just so that they can enlist and go fight the Germans. 15, 16, 17-year-olds who didn't even think twice about what's their future going to be like? Am I ever going to get married? Am I ever going to have a job? Am I ever going to have a family? Am I ever going to experience college? They didn't care about any of that. They had a cause to fight for, and they were willing to give their lives and die on the battlefield, even lying about their age that they had to, just so that they, they could go and fight for their country. Think about that. Kids. That's fascinating to me. 
Oh, if we would have young men that were willing to fight for a cause like that today. But not just, not just fighting a flesh and blood enemy. But we're fighting what? We're fighting a spiritual enemy. We're fighting those principalities and powers of darkness that are at work. The spiritual warfare that, that, is, that is required of us is overwhelming. And some of us are too young, we're just not ready. And some of us are, have been walking with Jesus for a long time and, and we're tired and we're worn out. And that's why God's saying, young men, John's saying, young men, it's time for you to rise up. It's time for you to step up. We need you. Step into the battle. We're calling you to be on mission with God. We're calling you to fight those spiritual battles. We're, we're calling you to overcome your youthful passions, your youthful lust, your attitudes and desires, and the pleasures and the pursuits that you once chased when you were an immature child. You think about that. There, there comes a point where it's just time to be a man. Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put my childish ways behind me. You know what's sad? So we have a deficiency today with strong, courageous, valiant young men. We do. Guys, we have a deficiency today. Where did all our young men go? Where did all our fighting men go, church? You know, again, I'll give you just a couple of statistics. There are, the Pew Research uh, Journal came out and said 15% of men eight, of 18 to 34 years old are, are not working, they're, they're unemployed. Now you may say 15%, that's not a very big number, but you think about 30, 40, 50 years ago, that would be unthinkable for a young man to not be working. And, and part of this is the perpetual culture of laziness, video games, Addictions to pornography and those kind of things, still living at home with their parents, never, never really getting out and stepping out into that next role of manhood. You know that 33% of millennials are still living at home with their parents between the ages of 18 and 34? Did you know that the, that the Pentagon, I saw this, this article just the other day, the Pentagon came out and said this, Approximately 71% of the 34 million 17 to 24-year-olds in the U.S. Okay, you got that? There's 34 million 17 to 24-year-olds in the U.S. They said approximately 71% of those young people would not qualify for military service because of reasons related to health, physical appearance, education background. What's the Pentagon communicating to us now? We don't even have a generation that could even qualify for military service. And you compare that to the World War II generation where you had 14, 15, and 16-year-olds who would lie about their age just so they could go fight. What's happened? Where are the fighting men? I think this is one of the greatest keys to keeping our faith alive. It's calling upon, and not just calling on them, guys. Look, this is the, the easy part is to say, it's easy for me to stand up here and say, you young men, you're not getting the job done. You've got to become better warriors of the faith and engage in the battle. Now go do it. That'd be one thing, but the other thing we're responsible to do is not just call them, but we've got to equip them. You don't just send a man out into the battle without giving him the weapons that he needs. This is where discipleship, this is what it's all about. We call them, and then we give them the weapons that they need. What are our weapons of warfare? Paul says, that, he says, you're strong because the word of God abides in you. How can young men be strong? The only way we can be strong and engage in the spiritual battle that is around us is that we walk in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We've, we don't fight the spiritual battle in, with the weapons of uh, flesh and blood. What are our weapons of warfare? We hit our knees. We learn how to pray against the spiritual forces of darkness. We, we learn how to, to, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says that we take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you want to teach a young man how to win the spiritual battles of his life, point him to Jesus. What did Jesus do? He went out into the wilderness. He was tempted by the devil. Every temptation came, what did he turn back with? Word of God. Oh, aren't you hungry, Jesus? Man doesn't live by bread alone. By every word that comes out of the mouth of God. How are we going to fight the devil? How are we going to fight the spiritual battle? With the word of God. But did Jesus pull out his scroll and have to look it up? No, he had it hidden where? In his heart. You see, that's, that's where we got to start. The, Psalm 119 said, how can a young man keep his way pure? By treasuring my heart in your word, by hiding the word of God in our heart. Young people, if you're going to fight the spiritual battle, we are calling you to do so, but we've got to equip you. And one way to equip you, and it's part of your responsibility too, you got to start hiding the word of God in your heart. It's got to become second nature to you. It's got to become part of you. It's got to get inside of you. How many useless facts and information do we know? I was talking to, talking to somebody else about this the other day. I know these useless facts of football and baseball and statistics. I can tell you whose record is what. All this useless information doesn't get me anywhere. How many times do we have the word of God hidden in our heart? That's where it's got to start. Spiritual battle is won by the power of the Holy Spirit and abiding in the word by the abiding word of God. I'm going to read this scripture to you as, as we wrap up. And, and I think this sums it up, young men, fighting men. I think about Joshua. Great warrior of the faith. Think about what God encouraged Joshua with in Joshua chapter 1. He said, Joshua 1, he said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall call this, cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to your fathers. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful. Listen, he says, Be careful to do all that the law of Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right or from the left so that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Be strong and courageous. How did Joshua win his battles? He meditated on the book of the law day and night. Children, your sins are forgiven. Fathers, keep walking with Jesus. Young men, you have overcome the evil one. You have overcome. When Jesus went to that cross, he defeated the devil. It says he made an open spectacle of the forces that he put him to open shame. So the battle, the war has already been won. We just got to walk in that victory. These are the promises of God. These are the weapons of our warfare. So as I close today, I just want to ask you this question. No matter who you are today and where you are in your life, I want you to do this. Those three keys, those three groups of people that I just shared with you, which one do you fall in today? Are you still a child? That's okay. Are you a spiritual father or are you one of our young men? Identify your place in the family of God. And then here's the thing. You've got to start doing your part to keep the faith alive for the next generation. Guys, we can do this. We can do this. And it starts with you and it starts with me. So I'm going to say a prayer right now. And here's how we're going to do this. I know we got a communion this morning. We have the Lord's Supper. So I want to pray. And I just want to give you a time to respond right now. Maybe God is convicting you in some way. Maybe you, maybe you need to know what 
being part of the family God is all about. I don't know what he's doing in your life right now, but if you want to just take some time right now, meet God where you are. Do business with him right now. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go into our time of communion together, okay? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the word. I thank you that you've given us a blueprint to keep our faith alive. And no matter who we are today and where we are in our spiritual journey and our walk with you, Lord, I pray that we would remember the great debt that Christ paid on the cross and the love of the Father. We would remember that we are privileged to walk with you and grow deeper in our relationship with you and to pass on our faith, Lord, and we would remember that we have overcome. We are overcomers, and we need a new generation to rise up and stand in the gap, to engage in the spiritual battles, to keep our faith and I pray that wherever we are today, Lord, that, that if you are bringing conviction and you're working in our hearts and lives, that we would respond today in however you feel led. I pray all this now in the precious and beautiful name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Thank you, guys. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, you want to go ahead and go into that, Brother John? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, he gathered his disciples to the Passover meal and, and he took the bread.